John was in this service, he'd give us a little Ric Flair on that, wouldn't he? Woo, amen. Psalm 119, verse 91. I appreciate you being here, as I've said, and joining for worship today. It is so important, uh, whether you're here in person or online today, it is so important to stay connected to the Word of God and the family of God. I cannot stress that to you enough, uh, especially in trying times that we're in. Is the most important thing that you can do. One of the most important things you can do as a follower of Jesus. One, stay connected to the Word and stay connected to the family. It's very, very important. Psalm 119, verse 91. If you have found your place, would you stand with me? Honor, reverence, the reading of God's Word. It'll be on the screen. Of course, it's on the front of your worship guide. And if you're watching online, the outline, the balance of last week's outline, because we'll be picking up where we left off last week will be put up there for you very soon if not already notice what the word of God says Psalm 119 verse 91 he says they continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants unless your law had been my delight I would have perished in my affliction I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life I am yours save me where I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection. I tell you, well, we could just camp out there. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, just want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for the call of God. Thank you, Father, that in my weakness your strength is made perfect. And, Father, that through this word there is the words of eternal life. Help your children to walk with you faithfully. Father, may those today that do not know you, may they not leave this building until they have repented and begun a relationship with the eternal Son of God. Pray your word would accomplish its purpose today. The Son of God will be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm speaking to you this week where we picked, picking up where we left off last week, talking about a trustworthy treasure. I just want to remind you briefly as we took this stanza last week, we began verse 89 and we read the entire stanza, but we just covered verses 89 and 90 last week as we were talking about a trustworthy treasure. We discussed one major point last week and that was the divine declaration that the psalmist made and in that divine declaration we considered that there were a few things we discovered that the Lord wanted to show us and that we were taught through God's word last week. We discovered through the divine declaration of the psalmist that God's word is eternal. We studied that. We also learned that God's work is enduring. It's it stands the test of time. And we also learn that God's witness has been established there in verse 90. He established his uh, testimony and it uh, abides. But today we're going to go just further into this stanza, verses 91 through 96. And as we look into this passage, we're going to discover how God's word provides direction and is the true source of all devotion for the child of God. Here's my prayer today. My prayer is that you came with an open heart, 
and in an open mind, that your hearts and minds will be open to the word of God, that it might take root in your hearts, dwell in you richly, and mold you into the child of God that he created you to be. Now, I'll tell you, I got a lot to share with you today. I come to this pulpit, to this platform with my heart hot and my heart full. I come to share with you what God has taught me that we might learn together and that we might help each other realize the treasure of the word of God that has been deposited to the people of God. We would realize that it is trustworthy and can be eternal. So I'm going to ask you today, you listen aggressively, amen? And I'll try to, uh, to get through. You know, you come 9 o'clock, you're like, man, he's got to be done by 1030. Well, uh, you know, you never know. We might just, if it gets right and revival really breaks out like I'm praying that it will, when the 1030 bunch shows up, we'll just invite them in and we'll just carry on, amen? So, uh, you know, I think sometimes, and I'm all about being uh, faithful and I'm all about being conscious and being a good steward of everything. That includes time. But I'll tell you, sometimes I think if we put too much of a time limit on God, we might miss what he really wants to say to us. So we're just going to have church here, all right? And then we're just going to let the Lord lead this thing because, you know, ultimately it's in his hands. It's not in the preacher's hands. It's not in the people's hands. The church is in the hands of the one who went to the cross and died for him. Amen? So as we go through the text today, let's begin to really open our hearts and minds and let the word of God speak clearly to us. I talked to you last week about the divine declaration of the psalmist, but we'll pick up in verse 91 talking about the fact that the word of God gives us daily direction. See, all of God's children stand in need of daily direction from the Lord. You can't just say, hey, I'll get me enough for three or four days. I promise you, I need direction of the Lord moment by moment, <laughs> not just day by day. But verses 91, 92, and 93 help us to realize how we can follow the Lord's lead and we can follow him on our journey regardless of where he leads us. Notice with me in verse 91, if you will, that the psalmist teaches us that the word of God is a faithful guide. Verse 91 continues to emphasize the same truth that was taught to us in verse 90, that the Lord has created and established the earth and it continues to exist under his ultimate control and authority. He is in charge. You say, I don't know who's in charge. This world is such a chaotic mess. I promise you, under the authority of the word of God, God is not sitting on the throne of heaven with earth as his footstool, wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do about this mess. He's in charge. See, the ordinances by the Lord were created at creation remain unchanged to this day. So our Lord has demonstrated his sovereign control over all creation throughout history. He has, and many of those events are recorded for us in Scripture. And I just want to take a moment to mention just a few from the Old Testament and New Testament that remind us that he is sovereign over all creation. Uh, notice in the Old Testament we find out real quickly that he's over in control of nature. The children of Israel got to the Red Sea. They were making their way out of bondage in Egypt. And you know the story how when they got to the Red Sea and they thought that they were about to be overtaken by Pharaoh's army, it was God who made a cloud between them that made it daylight for them and dark for Pharaoh's army. 
And as it was dark for Pharaoh's army and daylight for the people of God, he led them to the edge of the water and all those people were like, dear Lord, we've let Moses lead us this far. He's led us here to die. We should have just stayed in Egypt. Amen. Oh no, but what they were about to see was God do something so miraculous they could not deny his sovereign authority over all creation, including nature, when he parted the Red Sea. He literally parted the Red Sea. The children of Israel walked across on dry ground. Do you believe it was dry? Absolutely powder dry. It wasn't a waist-deep spot. It wasn't an ankle-deep spot. It wasn't a neck-deep spot. It was parted so deep that he drowned the entire army of Pharaoh in it. He showed his authority over creation and nature. He also didn't just part the Red Sea, but in Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, he parted the Jordan. Because the only two people who walked across the Red Sea when it was parted was Joshua and Caleb, and God did it again to show the people that he was able. Parted the Jordan, they walked across again on dry ground. In the days of Elisha, he made an axe head float. <laughs> In the days of Elijah, he made fire come down from heaven. Amen. And, and you know what? In the days of Joshua, he made the sun stand still in the sky. Ladies and gentlemen, our Lord is sovereign over all creation. You say, well, that's good, preacher. That's Old Testament stuff. But tell me something from the New Testament. Tell me something new. Well, I will. I tell you, there was a time when an old boy was sitting on the street corner. Somebody told him Jesus was passing by. See, he knew that name because somebody had read the books of the law to him and had read to him the, uh, the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. And when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he began to cry out. Oh, blind Bartimaeus began to call him by name and he didn't just call him Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, the son of David. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he was very specific as he called on Jesus and Jesus stopped and he touched him and blind Bartimaeus was no longer blind, but he was seeing Bartimaeus, amen? He doesn't just have authority over creation and nature. He has authority over physical and sickness and disease. He also did that at the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Oh, John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, you know what they were? There's a Greek word for what they were. They were ticked at Jesus. They said, we wanted you to come. If you would have came when we called you, our brother would still be alive. He said, tell me where he's at. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know, but he wanted to go to where he was. And when they took him to the tomb, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says Jesus wept. Some people say, why did he weep at the tomb of Lazarus? I don't know all the answers and neither do you, but it could be that Jesus being God had the ability to see Lazarus on the other side. It could be that he saw him in the presence of God the Father and all the glory and the splendor of glory. And you know what he did? He wept. It could be that he could not help the unbelief of the sisters. I don't know. But regardless, after he wept and after he gave glory to God the Father, he said these words, Lazarus, come forth. And y'all know what he did? He got up. He didn't just show his power over nature. He didn't just show his power over creation. He didn't just show his power over sickness and disease. He showed that he had the ability to conquer death. Mark chapter four, they was out there on the water. Storm came up. They said, hey, master, don't you care that we die? What are you doing asleep? Man, we're about to die. And he stood on the bow of the ship, said three words, peace be still. And the wind and seas calmed. 
And they looked among each other and said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and seas obey him? Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you something, ladies. He stepped out there on the bow of that ship and showed that he had authority over all of nature. He could make the sin stop and make the waves stop. He taught us in Peter's day. He told Peter, he said, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter done said, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know about that bunch of hooligans you got following you, but you are underestimating me. My name is Peter, and I will never leave you. I'll go to death for you. What happened? Oh, before the sun came up, Peter had done exactly as Jesus said. The Bible says this about Peter when he was found out that he went and he wept bitterly. He wept so much that literally he was physically sick over the fact that he had turned against Jesus. Oh, there was another time. Acts chapter 16. It's what we call the New Testament version of Jailhouse Rock. Paul and Silas were beat, thrown into the pit down there in the sewers of the jailhouse. They were looking at their wounds and they were beginning to think about all they'd been through. But the Bible said at midnight, they began to sing. At midnight, they began to praise the Lord. And as they began to praise the Lord and as they began to sing, the Bible says that the earth literally quaked. The ground shook, the gates were open, their chains fell away. They were free. But ladies and gentlemen, they weren't free to go do as they pleased. They were free to go tell somebody else. You know what they did? They went to the jailer and the jailer said, you know what, I'm gonna let these guys out. They're gonna kill me in the morning. I might as well take care of it tonight. And they said, sir, do yourself no harm for we're all here. He came to them and asked these words. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved in your house. They went and had supper with him, led the whole family to Jesus. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has authority over all creation. Well, let's just move on a little bit. Our sovereign Lord is not only the one who created the world, he's the one who directs and manages the world. And we can trust him. Listen to me. We can trust him to be faithful at all times. He is a, a faithful guy. Notice with me in verse 92, if you will. He's not just a faithful guy. He is a fearless guard. He said, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Let's think about that for a moment. God's people understand some things that are very true about this world and the word. We understand that we're not immune to affliction. We're not immune to opposition. We're not immune to pain, persecution, and suffering because all of these things are common to all people on the planet. Regardless of who you are, where you are, you cannot escape the fact that you ha will have to encounter affliction in this life. And understanding this fact to be true exposes the dangers of what we hear so much of today across the internet and the airways and the TV and that is this, quote, modern-day prosperity gospel, which I will tell you is no gospel at all. If you're watching a preacher on TV and he tells you to sow a seed of $100 today and you'll get 400 by Friday, use your remote and change the channel. 
Now look here, you may make an investment in the kingdom of God today and God may decide to bless you. Now I'm not saying he can or he won't, but I'm saying expecting that kind of activity and you demanding God to do what you want him to do, he ain't that kind of God. No, 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 you, you need to change the channel. See, prosperity gospel is based on the understanding that health and wealth is readily available to those who have enough faith to claim it. <laughs> Listen, this is a false teaching and it provides an unrealistic and an untrue description of the Christian life. Could you tell Peter the prosperity gospel and expect him to buy it? No. Do you think you could pass all prosperity gospel to the apostle Paul? Do you reckon the reason he suffered was because he was unfaithful? Well, I beg to differ, brothers and sisters. He suffered because... That's the way things go in this life. He was not immune to it. And much of his suffering was because of his unrelenting stance for the word of God and the son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you couldn't pass that off on the apostle James. You couldn't pass it off on John, the revelator. And I'll tell you one thing, you couldn't pass that off on Jesus. The psalmist begins to give a personal testimony. He begins to talk about his afflictions in the journey. Here's what he basically said. He basically said that if it had not been for the power and the presence of the word of God, he does not know where he would be. He says that there was one thing, which was the word of God, that stood between him and total destruction. Let me help you today. If the word of God is all you have to guide you, you've got enough. If the word of God is all you've got to provide a guard for you, <laughs> you're safe enough. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. It's very important you don't ever get beyond that because the psalmist is saying, if it hadn't been for the power and the presence of the word, I just don't know where I would be. I don't know if I'd have made it. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, some of us can set our seal to this statement. Our affliction, if it had not been for divine grace, would have crushed us out of existence so that we would have perished. In our darkest seasons, nothing has kept us from desperation but the promises of the Lord. Yea, at times, nothing stood between us and self-destruction save faith in the eternal word of God. And then he ends by saying this, that which was our delight in prosperity has been our light in adversity. That which in the day kept us from presuming has in the night kept us from perishing. What did the old hymn writer say? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Anybody with me this morning? Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Oh, but this is my favorite part. But the master, anybody know him? But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Oh, church, hear me today. We can't get past the fact of realizing that it was the love of God 
It was the peace of God. It was the grace of God. It was the mercy of God. It was all the totality of the person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost that reached and grabbed us in our moments of total despair and set our feet on a rock. Oh, friend, hear me. And listen, I heard a preacher say this years ago and it makes sense and you need to take this to heart as a child of God. He said, found people, find people. Amen. He says, if you've been found, don't you want everybody to be found? I don't know about you, but the longer I live in this world and the more chaos I see, I don't want to see anybody spend eternity separated from God. And oh, if you're in a place this morning where you don't know if you know him and you don't know you'd go to heaven if you die today, oh, don't leave this building today without letting us share the unsearchable truth of the word of God that will set you free. God, help us today. Psalmist is just like you and I. We must find meaning in the word of God. And we must find meaning from the word of God. See, the word will cause us to align ourselves with the revealed word of God. The psalmist realized if he had not found meaning in his experience of affliction, he would have felt as though he would have certainly perished. The psalmist said, I had to find a reason for my experience. I had to find meaning and purpose for my experience. And he said, God gave that to me. And he kept me alive. I like what John Phillips says. He says, the word of God helped the psalmist keep his sanity. <laughs> Amen. Am I with me? Hey, the word of God helped him keep his sanity. It gave him something to hang on to when the world was falling apart. He said the word of God was a rock and an anchor and he was able to get his feet on that solid rock. I can remember, getting, it'll be Easter here in a few months. You know what I used to like about Easter before I knew Easter was about Jesus? Chocolate bunnies. I was a real spiritual kid. And I remember we used to get those chocolate bunnies. And you go bite that chocolate bunny's head off, which is where I started, because that's where the most chocolate was. And when you bit that bunny's head off, the rest of it just crumbled in your hand. And when I learned to read, I read on the box, it said, hollow. And I'd go down through here in the old days at the old Bill's dollar store. Amen. Old timey people. We remember that, right? And I went to the old Bill's dollar store and old White's Auto and the Western Auto and all the stores that used to be here in the old days. And uh, I noticed it. You read over there and it'd say hollow. But there were some bunnies that were different. It said solid. I thought, wait, wait a minute. That means that whole thing is chocolate. And so I remember asking my mama one Easter, I said, hey, reckon I can get a solid bunny in my basket this year? Well, I don't know what for, I said, because I don't want anything crumbling in my hand. And I want all the chocolate I can get, amen? So I began to, and you know what? That very next Easter, I got me a solid bunny. Can I tell you, I have been a fan of solid bunnies ever since. And there's a spiritual application. If y'all give me time, I'll get there. 
The spiritual application is simply this. There's a lot of things in this world that look like they're solid, but they hollow. And you go bite into them, they crumble in your hand and hit the floor and the dog gets it before you get it and it's gone, it's worthless, it's wasted. But I want to tell you, the foundation of God, it's solid, thick, through and through and when you reach and take a bite of the word of God, it doesn't crumble in your hand, it gives you something to put your feet on and it hangs with you to the end, amen? Oh, God help us today. Oh, I was telling y'all what John Phillips said, but I got thinking about that bunny, amen. He said he was able to get his feet on the solid rock. That's where I lost it at. He's able to get his feet on the solid rock even when surrounded by the quicksand of menacing circumstances. He was able to throw out his anchor and he was able to feel the cable hold his drifting boat against the rising wind in the perilous reef. He said this about the psalmist. He took his anchor and he threw it out there. And he grabbed a hold of something solid. And he kept him safe in his journey. But I also want you to notice in verse 93, he talks about a father of grace. See, one of the greatest dangers of the Christian life is when God's children forget what he said. There were times my daddy told me things to do and not to do, and sometimes I forgot because I forgot, and sometimes I forgot because I wanted to. Anybody with me? Oh, you you, what? You told me not to go there, really? You told me not? Oh, I forgot. I didn't really forget. I just didn't want to hear it. Don't we treat God like that sometimes? He tells us things. There's times God's moved my heart to tell me things. I, I, don't, I, I didn't hear you, Lord. Oh, really? Well, I'll say it again loudly. But when we forget and do not employ the truth of God's word in our daily lives and become a risk of trusting ourselves, we can also trust in other inadequate sources of guidance. I remember when I was a kid, there was something that was popular. Y'all remember the Magic 8 Ball? Yeah, boy, you had one of them, you was the stuff. You had your magic eight ball and a Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, it stretches back. Did y'all know that? I saw somebody got a stretch for Christmas. I'm like, wow, enjoy a couple of days. You'll be putting Band-Aids to keep the syrup out of that thing. Man, <laughs> can't hold a candle to my evil Knievel stunt cycle, I'll tell you that right now. And we will have some YouTube videos this summer. We're going to build a ramp and jump the whole swimming pool. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Stay tuned, friends. Stay tuned, right? <laughs> There's a lot of inadequate sources for guidance. I remember everybody getting a circle, you know, and they'd say, you know, does so-and-so love me? <laughs> Signs are pointing to no. I mean, oh. Yeah, man. And that sounds crazy, and we think, well, I wouldn't do that, Marina. No, you wouldn't because you matured. You know, that was just a game. It didn't mean anything. It had no, no real direction for your life. But can I tell you, there's a lot of sources people go to for directions they shouldn't go to. Now, I'll tell you this. Sometimes people think that they have a friend because their friend always agrees with them and always tells them what they want to hear. But I want to tell you, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. If somebody really loves you, and let me just go ahead and go on record, they tell you, this preacher really loves you. 
and I love you enough that I want to tell you the truth because I have to live by that same truth if it hurts my feelings or yours if it's in God's word there's no apology that can ever be extended and somebody that really loves you is going to tell you the truth and help you you know there's times as a pastor and, and this is things God's taught me over the years it used to I would see things that were wrong I would see things that needed to be fixed and I would see people doing things they shouldn't be doing and I would think you know I got to get that fixed immediately and you know what God's taught me over the years and he's taught me that a lot even here just so you'll know I see a lot of things I see people doing say a lot of things they should not do and behave ways they should not behave and here's what the Lord gets in my ear and says Mark okay ready here David gets in my ear and says that's why I brought you here it's because they needed somebody to show them not just tell them and the reason they're living the way they are is because they are living according to their own wishes and what their friends are telling them is okay and what I put you there to do is to be a roadblock with the word of God in their life and show them that it's not about making their friends happy it's not about following the trends it's not about being popular and rough and tough and hard above it's about doing things the way God taught us in his word to do it and he said I put you there for that purpose now go do it I'm, I'm going to do it, Marty. I'm just going to do it. You know what? And that, you know why? Because I really care about you. I care about your testimony. I care about the testimony of this church. I care about our ability to impact and influence the culture. And we can't do it if we look just like them. <sighs> That's hard stuff. You hate, it's hard stuff to say, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Don't look to inadequate sources for your guidance. Don't try to fit in. He has not called his church to fit in. He has called us to stand out. Wow. It's very important that we're taught the principles of the word of God, but it's through personal experience we learn the most valuable lessons. Isn't that true? Wow. The psalmist had a personal experience with the word. And he was committed to keeping the precepts of truth as light for his future. He was committed to it. I, I like what one writer said. He said, experience teaches and teaches effectually. How blessed a thing it is to have the precepts written on the heart with a golden pen of experience engraven on the memory with a divine stylus of grace. Wow. See, God has given life to every person who's repented of their sins. If you've trusted Jesus, he's given you a new life. But sometimes we experience what I call spiritual amnesia. We forget how good he's been and we forget how much grace he has shown. So the psalmist said this. He said that your precepts, your word has given me life. You say, well, preacher, was it just the words that he read that made him alive? Well, not exactly. It was the Lord that made him alive by way of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He traces the source of his new life from the channel to the source. Thanks be to God for a father of grace. Now notice with me verse 94. I've got to give you this last part. Y'all be so upset if you got home and I left it out. But these final three verses, verses 94, 95, and 96, the psalmist expresses his deep devotion to the Lord. Definite, deep devotion. 
The journey he has experienced has taught him so many wonderful things about the Lord and his word, but notice how he expresses his loyalty and need for the Lord's continued direction. Notice with me, if you will, as he talks about in verse 94, a righteous relationship. You see, the psalmist cries out with conviction in verse 94. He cries out with confidence, and you say, how? It's because of his relationship with the Father. His devotion to the Word of God taught him that only God could provide for him the deliverance that he desperately needed. He knew that it only could come from God. So when he calls on the Lord to save him, he is asking the Lord literally to sustain his life. And he knows that God loves him. He knows that God cares for him. He knows that God even understands him. But he's saying, Lord, I want you to give me sustaining life. And in the last part of verse 94, the psalmist writes that he sought the precepts of the Lord. And something's encouraging to me is that word sought. Here's what it means. It means to consult, to inquire, and I like this, to beat a path and read repeatedly. He said, when I sought your word, I beat a path to the word of God. We've got a little place off our carport that goes down behind the shop, and it's a little trail that Mo takes. Mo has been across that so many times, you ain't gonna believe this. She's worn a rut in my yard. I'm gonna speak with her about that after church. We're gonna have consultation. But I'm looking, and it's only about that wide, so it sure wouldn't me. Sure wouldn't. And I can tell it's Mo's little worn path. And as I was thinking about this text this week, I'm thinking, Mo beats a path back and forth because she's looking for something to eat. It doesn't matter if she ate five minutes ago. If you come outside with a cracker, she wants it. It doesn't matter what it is. And I tell her, look, Mo, I love you, but I'm not sharing my Cheez-Its with you. You get the little pack of Gainsburger stuff that you get every day. But my Cheez-Its, off limits. But she's worn a rut. Now listen to me. Here's what I'm saying to you today. Wouldn't it be something if the people of God cared so much about their relationship with God that we literally wore out a path to get to the word of God? Wow. Wow. Simon said he'd beaten path. He'd read it over and over. He'd studied it. When he had to make a decision, he consulted carefully the word because philosophies change, political expedients fail, promises and contracts are broken, but the word of God always stands. Amen. I'm grateful for that right there. I'm grateful for the truth of a righteous relationship. But notice verse 95. He also says it's a reliable resource. A couple of words, and let's talk about the first one, persistence. We often notice in Scripture how the Word of God instructs the righteous to wait for the Lord's intervention when being attacked by the enemy. Waiting's hard, isn't it? None of us get up tomorrow morning. I bet none of you would do this pre-pandemic or even now. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know what I want to do? I just want to go visit every waiting room I can find at every doctor's office and every hospital. I love going to the waiting room. None of us do that. If you do that, you need help, okay? I, I, <laughs> no, we don't like the waiting room. God is telling us sometimes when we're being attacked by the enemy, that's where we need to be. We understand that the works of the flesh never bring glory to God, but waiting for his perfect timing, we can be sure that he gets the glory for our deliverance. 
And in verse 95, the verb in the original Hebrew refers to the wicked waiting, not us waiting, but the wicked are waiting to launch an intentional attack of evil. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't you think for a minute, if you're making a difference for God, if you're making an impact on, uh, for the glory of God, if you're making an imprint against the evil in this world, don't you think for a minute that the enemy is at right now plotting an attack to try to get your heart and mind off the word of God to get you and render you useless for the kingdom. He's doing it. Reminded me of verse we all know well in Psalm 23 verse 4, yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me and that psalmist there in Psalm 23 he paints a picture of a very well known passage in that part of the world where there was literally a place called the valley of the shadow of death where they would have to take their flocks up through to get to the high mountains at certain times of the year and through that very narrow dark passageway there was always robbers and thieves looking to take the sheep or looking to bring harm to the shepherd Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, we live in those days and the psalmist's life is shaped and molded by the word of God. He does not allow the threat of the enemy to divert his commitment away from the word of God or the God of the word. Persistence. Then there's another word. It's patience. <laughs> patience is something we all need more of, but I trust that you don't pray for more of it. You will never hear me say, you know what, I just pray the Lord give me, teach me patience. Uh-uh, he does that enough already. I don't need to ask for more of that. He, he has a way of knowing when we need to be stretched. But the psalmist's deep meditation on the word enabled him to demonstrate patience even though he was the target of bitter hatred and growing opposition to those who sought to cause him to stumble. Listen to me, sir. Listen to me, dad. Let me talk to you husbands for a minute Satan plotting anything he can to get your eyes off of him get your eyes off your bride and get your eyes off being a father to your children and a grandfather to your grandchildren I'm telling you you know why because if he can get you off target in those areas you know what he can do he can render you ineffective and all those in your circle of influence wow Psalmist's deep meditation on the word enabled him to demonstrate patience because he was the target the word of God provided boundaries and safeguards for him. There's something, sir, you need some boundaries, you need some guardrails in your life. The word of God will make, make you aware of that. He was insulated from his enemies because he was given a broader view, a wider horizon, which also gave him a sense of divine purpose. It's very important we understand that because I believe this with all of my heart, following the will of God, reading the word of God, understanding the call of God and searching the purpose of God in your life. These are things that will keep you in your lane and keep you out of the ditch. <laughs> a lot of people have trouble staying in their lane, don't they? You ever seen, I watch girls, I, I, I watch, uh, one sport intrigues me is volleyball. They all got a place and all got a position. They all got a thing. But what happens if they all just went over there and started running around, running into each other and playing all corners of the court? It would be a chaotic scene. But they've all got a purpose and a place and they know where to be and they provide their function for their team and therefore can achieve a victory. But I want to finish today by talking to you about verse 96 because he talks about a reflective realization. Notice with me again the words of that verse. 
He said, I have seen the consummation of all perfection. You read that and think, what in the world is he talking about? That's why I'm glad you're here. I want to help you. He said, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 96 is jam-packed with so much truth we could spend hours unpacking all of it. But it's important to note that the personal nature of this verse, as the psalmist writes, it gives an eyewitness account to the goodness and the grace of God. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> the word perfection in proper context here carries the idea of completeness or finite. The psalmist was saying that he realized his own limitations and all the limitations of mankind. Spurgeon said there is no perfection beneath the moon. I believe that, don't you? He said perfect men in the absolute sense of the word live only in a perfect world, but some men see no end to their own perfections, but that is because they are perfectly blind. He said the experienced believer has seen an end of it all in perfection of himself, in his brethren, and in the best man's works. Wow. He said, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Means it's wide, unlimited, boundless, immeasurable. Psalmist sees a new beginning. He sees a new beginning that is spacious and endless, and he understands that God's commands are marked by unlimited and absolute perfection. Ladies and gentlemen, most people view the Bible as a very narrow book. But when it comes to life and death as well as time and eternity, the Bible is very much broad in scope. All human philosophies and doctrines are finite. That, we know that to be true. They are limited and harmful because they are clouded by sin. It's been said that sin fogs issues, clouds the intellect, narrows the vision, inflates the ego, and biases opinions. It is not that the Bible is narrow, but rather our human understanding of the Bible is narrow. How does it compare with human philosophies? Well, human philosophies leave the Word of God out. In the end, they are discarded because they are inadequate philosophies or theories. Take, for example, I can remember being in junior high school. And the big thing was the teaching of the theory of evolution. And let me remind you, it is a theory. <laughs> Amen. It is not a truth. All right? So there was a big stuff about that. And I can remember, I had, you know, and I live in the house with a science teacher, at least for a few more months. And uh, I, I know I could understand all, a lot of things. But I know she's told me, and I tell her, the more I understand the Word of God, the more I'm convinced that he, in the, in the Genesis account of creation. But the theory of evolution made some deadly mistakes. The deadliest mistake of Darwin and his theory of evolution is that it leaves God completely out of the equation. Evolution gives no hope beyond the grave. It offers no comfort to the weak, the sick, the handicapped, the maimed, the dying, or the lost. The theory is narrow because it refuses to accept a vast revealed dimension of truth which is the reality of the unseen, the spiritual, and the supernatural. Whatever mankind does will never reach perfection because our human work comes from a limited mind, 
with limited strength and limited abilities. In contrast to the limits of mankind, God's word and his works have no limits. <laughs> Where we're finite, he is infinite. His word is limitless, boundless, and immeasurable, and the truth should alert your heart to realize that the God that you know and serve can use you right here, right now, and can use you to make an eternal impact for his glory. How do I know that? Do you remember the story where Mary broke her alabaster box in Mark chapter 14? And everybody got tore up because they're like, man, we could have sold that and gave that money to the poor. It's worth 300 denarii. That's worth almost a year's wages. How could you waste it? Here's what Jesus said. He said in Mark chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. He said, why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. He said, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Then he says these words in verse 9. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You know what he was saying? Her act of giving is going to be recorded on the holy pages of Scripture, and every generation that follows will be impacted and influenced by her act of giving and her act of distrusting me with everything. He said, She is going to have an impact that will outlive her for generations to come. Well, too many of God's children today don't think they can have any impact. Too many of God's children today say, I'm nothing, can't do anything, and God, even God can't do anything with me. Many of God's children are living in that rut, and I've told you before, an old country preacher told me years ago, said a rut, if you're living in a rut, it ain't nothing but a grave with both ends knocked out. <laughs> You've already put yourself there. You're living in a rut. It's a changed place to be. Well, the other day, O'Keefe with Rick, and I was on my way back from Randolph County. Rocky Branch. I keep wanting to call it Rocky Ridge, but it's Rocky Branch. Right? Okay. For Miss Molly's graveside. And when I come back to Randolph County, there's some special things to me because the very first church I pastored was in Randolph. It's kind of mixed up. They were in the Clay Association, but we were geographically in Randolph County. And so on the way back through, I said, I'm going to hang a left here on Kenner Road 88, which becomes Lee's Bridge Road when you get a little further in. And I'm going to go across the Backwater Bridge, and I'm going to make a little stop by Center West Baptist Church where my pastoral journey began in November 1993. I stopped for a moment, took a few pictures, took a picture of the sign because we, we put that bought that when I was there and I'll never forget how that sign came into being when I got there they had a little sign out there and I'm going to tell you what it was it was an engraved tombstone <laughs> it was right out there at the, end of the parlor it said Center West Baptist Church established 1915 and one day I mentioned something in one of our uh, when we began to grow started with just 12 people and began to grow and um God was beginning to work in the church 
And I mentioned something about, you know, we needed something out there so people would know we were there. Because <laughs> it gets real dark out there and at night. There ain't no street lights. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, you know, we need to get a sign, lighted sign. You know, I was about 23, 4 years old then, way wet behind the ears. And one of the older deacons, I'll never forget, first deacon I ever buried, dear friend, I'll see him again in heaven, Brother Bowie Phillips, lived in that community all his life, World War II vet. And he said, you know, preacher, he said, I think you're right. We need us a lighted sign out there because I'm telling you, when that thing lights up, you can see it for a long ways. It's dark. He said, you're right because he said, that tombstone we got out there, it looks like we're advertising a dead church. He said, we ain't dead no more. Hey, we got that light inside. I took a picture of it and it brought back some wonderful memories thinking, hey, I've seen God breathe life into his church in the past. I've seen God breathe life into his church in the midst of pandemic and I believe that God will continue to breathe life into every congregation that will open your heart and mind to his bidding. I said, if God did it then, he can do it again. Oh, he can do it again. <laughs> I'll never forget, boo. We ain't dead no more. I'll never forget that. He said, we might have been, but we ain't no more. You know, and yesterday I was, we have those moments sometimes, all of us, especially with all we've had going on, you get where you feel a little low. And then I, my Pandora's, wasn't even through playing one song and it just switched to one in the middle. It never does that. But you know, God's in charge of stuff, right? And then I begin to hear those words. Oh, what I would do to have the strength to stand before the giant with just a sling and a stone, surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors. But the giant's calling out my name, and he laughs at me, reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed. Anybody? Y'all with me? The giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So what is the consummation, you say, of the message I'm sharing with you today? Let's just keep listening and believing the voice of truth. Let's trust that we have a trustworthy treasure, solid rock to build our life upon, that know the winds may blow and the storms may come, there's still a lighthouse on a hillside that overlooks life's sea. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I thank God for the lighthouse, don't you? His name is Jesus. To God be the glory for this trustworthy treasure. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word today.
thank you for reminding us that even right here in rural Alabama that we can make an eternal impact for generations to come even into eternity by just trusting you with the hard stuff by sacrificing for your glory and by being faithful to your word Lord I am so thankful for the opportunity to stand before your people and before you today God I pray I've honored you I pray you've been glorified I pray I've been faithful and obedient and now, Father, I pray for those who have heard today. May they do likewise. And may we as your children and as your family be faithful to the very finish. God, I believe we're going to see you soon. I don't know how soon. But in the scope of eternity, it's all soon. And when we do, May we meet you and be living in such a way that we can hear the words, well done. I give you praise. I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want to mention a couple things. Thank you so much uh, for your kind attention today. Let me just say this to you. As always, use the uh, perforated section of your worship guide. Always, if you're our guest and you would register your presence with us, we mean that would mean so much to us because we just want to know how we can minister to you, help you, serve you. There's places on the back for prayer requests, praise reports. If you have any questions about anything, if you have a decision you need to make for the Lord, know that we're in no hurry to go anywhere. We're here for you. We're here under his authority and we're here to help you Know him and walk with him. So please use that for that. You can put it in any of the offering buckets at either door. Uh, you pick those, drop that in. And as a church family, I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful. God bless you. Uh, I appreciate your faithfulness uh, in January. You know, January is usually a hard month. Everybody's bought their Christmas and they and they out of money. Yeah, but you know, God blessed and God used you to be faithful in January. Give us a great start to this year. Uh, it's just a blessing to see what God is doing and how God is going to use this church missionally in the coming days. I, I just, I, I lay awake sometimes and just just can't believe what God has done is doing. And I really believe the best is yet to come. I really believe that. So I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful, continue to trust God with the first fruits, not what's left over. Continue to be faithful in honoring the Lord with the tithe because it's holy and continue to trust him to do great things through that. So I want you to know how much that means to me that you are doing that and I want to encourage you to continue, okay? And lastly, but not my, certainly not least, I do mean this when I say this. I don't just say this out of habit. I don't say this because it sounds cute. It really is the desire and intent of my heart is that I do love you and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? I mean that. I promise you, people have tried hard in my ministry to see if they could be the first. But you can't do it. You know why? Because if it was up to me, I could get 
is this lady I used to work with, you say, I could get choicey. Amen. It ain't up to me. I died. He's in charge. And his love never ends. So I do love you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Let's stand together. Marty, you sing us out. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. And uh, hey, is go Chiefs. Okay, just checking. I, you know, go Chiefs. You know, when I was younger pastor, everybody told me that was unspiritual stuff. But you know what? It's not, it's not at all. I mean, I'm telling you, there'll be a lot of people get passionate tonight <laughs> for their team. So I guess we're, some of you may be for the Buccaneers. You Buccaneer fans? Didn't think so? All right, well, good. Uh, no, I'm really not an NFL guy anyhow, but I will watch it. It's fun. And uh, I do want you to know you're loved. But some of you this week probably wonder, does anybody love me? God does and I do. I promise you that. And I bet there's a lot of other people do too. There's a bunch of people in this room love you. I'm grateful to God for that. Marty, go ahead. Everlasting God. You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God.